Hey, let me say a big welcome to everybody in Shepherdsville right now. Can we welcome everybody at our Shepherdsville location? And uh, obviously, everybody who's watching this, wherever you're watching this, here together in, uh, in South Louisville, um, man, just excited about jumping into this series today, Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. And I really couldn't be more excited. I can't think of a more uh, needed message in the society and in the culture that we are living in uh, right now. I'm sure every generation has felt this way, but it does feel in some way like the family is under attack maybe more than ever. It feels as if it's maybe harder to be connected. I, that, that may not be true, but it feels that way sometimes as a parent of, of four children. I know some of you are, are ahead of me. You've already raised kids, are already out of the house. Some of you are raising teenagers right now. Some of you are just now getting married. You're starting a family. Some of you are playing the role of that aunt or uncle or godparent or grandparent. All of us connected to a family in some kind of way. Uh, and, and, and so I think that if we will come together these next five weeks and we will really try to hear and learn what, what God can teach us, I believe our families are going to be better. There's no doubt about that. I don't want to start out today scaring you uh, or depressing you, but the stats are, are, are scary. Somewhere between 40 and 50% of, of, of couples married in the last decade are ending in divorce. One in three kids live in a home without a dad. The average student loan debt per household is 49000 That's the average. Some of y'all are bringing it up uh, in here. Uh, over 7 million children take some form of antidepressant medication. Over 3,000 high school students every day attempt to take their life. The truth is your family will not accidentally stay together. It's not going to happen. Your your kids are not going to accidentally want to come home and hang out with you after they move out, right? Or maybe I should say you're not going to accidentally want to hang out with your kids and have them come back when they move out. Uh, you're not going to accidentally marry the right person. You're not going to accidentally build a strong family. The the average family is not doing great, but here's the good news today. Your family doesn't have to be average. But God really has some amazing plans for your life and for your family's life. Now, we're the most distracted, busiest, most afraid, most stressed, most fractured society in history, and it's taking a toll on our families. And the image that I've had in my head this week, and I know my brain works weird sometimes, so just go with me here, but as I've been thinking about these messages and where we're going, the image that I've had in my head all week is like on a TV show or a movie when somebody's like stranded out like on an interstate out in the middle of nowhere or they're in a house together, like a a scary movie or something, and somebody goes missing or they need to find help. And and it seems like on all these shows and all these movies that, that, that somebody suggests that the best plan be what? Everybody split up. Just so you know, just heads up, if we're ever together and, and we ever are stranded, we're not splitting up, all right? I'm, I don't have that kind of courage, okay? I, that's not me, all right? Just, just a heads up, I am staying with you. Wherever you're going, I'm with you, okay? But in my head this week, I've just kind of, I've been imagining those scenarios and scenes on these shows and movies where, where people, somebody says, hey, why don't we split up? And, and it never works out. It never works out. The best course of action is always stay together. Whatever we got to get through, let's get through it together. Whatever we got to do, let's do it together. Because if we split up, it ain't going to go well. And so 
my prayer and my hope has been that as we take these next five weeks, that, that we'll come together. And as a family, we'll say, hey, whatever we got to go through, let's go through it together. Whatever we got to do, let's, 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 do it to, uh, let's do it together, all right? Now, let me explain what the next five weeks are going to look like. For this first week, I want to just lay a little groundwork before we jump in. Each week, I'm going to teach uh, one of the things, one of the practices that will keep your family together. And at the same time, we're starting a 30-day family challenge. And when you came in today or checked a kid in, or I'm not sure actually where you get them, but hopefully you got them. If not, you'll get them on the way out. You should have gotten this calendar, uh, and I'll explain the calendar in just a second, but on the side, there are challenges for a 30-day family challenge, and we want everybody to participate. Whatever role you play in the family that you're a part of, we want everybody to participate, and, and there's something for everyone. So every, every challenge may not apply to your stage of life, but there's something for everyone on there, and we believe that if you'll take 30 days to do the things that are, are a part of this challenge, that it's going to make your family stronger and better. Now, the reason we gave you a calendar is because we want you today or tomorrow, here pretty soon, the series runs more than 30 days, so you figure out kind of the 30 days. The reason we gave you a calendar is we want you to sit down and we want you to go ahead and plan. Some of you are like, yes, planning. Others of you are like, ah, planning. Okay, right. Probably somebody in the family likes to plan. Give them the calendar. And we want you to map out and go ahead and plan when you're going to do the things on the other side of the page that are the challenge, what, what is going to be the schedule? Because we've already said it's not accidentally um, going to happen, all right? There are activities, schedules, budgets, devotions, date night ideas, everything you'll need to make the 30 days the perfect start or, or restart uh, for, for your family, okay? Now, I'm not saying that the next 30 days will fix every problem in your life. So please don't hear that. I I hope you know that. But I do believe that it can be the start of something miraculous, a change or a turnaround, maybe in a situation that you thought was unfixable, unsolvable. Um, And I think these next 30 days will just reinforce, if you are in a great place, they'll just kind of reinforce some of the great things that are are, are already happening. Now, the biggest piece of the 30-day family challenge is we are challenging you Everyone listening to my voice right now, we are challenging you to be in church together for all five weeks of this series. That is the biggest piece of the the, the Family Together series, is we're challenging you to be in church together all five weeks. And just so you know, we are totally bribing your kids, all right? And they're being told today in their classes that if they check in four out of the five weeks, that they're going to get a prize for their family, and, and they've been working on that. Katie and the team's been working on that, and I'm pumped about that. Um, and so we, we want you to be a part of this series together as, as a family. Let's make a commitment together. If, if, if one of the spouses has to work, the other spouse, get everybody here. If you've got a sports activity, you know, as, as courageous, as much courage as this takes, let the coach know we're not going to be there until this time because we're going to be in church together for these five Weeks, five weeks. Now, for some of y'all, five weeks in a row of church would be like a personal record, okay? Uh, and I get that, and no judgment here. I'm just saying five weeks. Five weeks together, and, uh, and let's just see what God would do. Okay, so let me go ahead and give you the five things. Um, let's get into the message today. Let me go ahead and give you the five things that will keep your family together. Number one is God. We're going to talk about God today. Number two is forgiveness, Number three is margin. Number four is effort. And number five is communication. God, 
forgiveness, margin, effort, and communication. And, and, and the 30-day family challenge has uh, things that connect to all five of these areas. God, forgiveness, margin, effort, and communication. I'm sure there's more than five. But we believe that these five will lay the groundwork for your family to be stronger than ever before. So today, let's get started by talking about the first thing that will keep your family together, and that's God. That's God. You probably knew that because we're at a church for this series, okay? And so he is the, the, the foundation for everything that we're going to talk about moving forward. You could figure out how to forgive but not have God at the center. It wouldn't work right. You could figure out how to have margin. You could figure out how to communicate. You could figure out how to put forth effort, and your family would get better. These are practices that would get better, but the centerpiece, the start of it all, is building a family around, around God. What does it look like to be a family built on faith? That's hard to answer. We know what it looks like if your child's education is the most important thing to you because it means making sure you do your homework when you get off the bus and making sure you don't miss school and making sure that you fill out all your applications. Like There are obvious identifiers if your child's education is the most important thing to you. If your job is the most important thing to you, we know what that looks like. That looks like extra hours at home or at, at work. It looks like, um, you know, it looks like working while you're home uh, on your phone or on your computer or, or missing things to be there. We know what that looks like if your job is most important. But what does it look like in your home for God to be most important? What does that look like? What are the characteristics of a house where, where that, is, that is the case. It's got to be more than just attending church, right? Because it would be easy to say, well, God's most important because we go to church as a family. But we all know people that go to church and their family's falling apart. And I don't say that as like a judgmental thing, like they're a hypocrite or they're not doing something right. There, there are challenges that we all face no matter whether we go to church or we don't. Obviously, we believe that church is a major part of that, and we're going to talk about that later. But it's got to be more than just, well, we go to church because families are falling, falling apart in church, right? Um, we don't want you to just attend church together. We want you to follow Jesus together. We don't want your, your home to just attend church. We want your home to follow Jesus together. And that's a completely different thing. So here's the big idea for our message today. We're going to dive in, in just a second. But here's the big idea. If you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this. The best way to keep your family together for the next 50 years is to do whatever it takes to make sure your family's together 50,000 years from now. Let me say that again. The best way for you to keep your family together for the next 50 years is to make sure your family's together 50,000 years from now. I want us to try to today, for the time we have together, I want us to try to look at this through the lens of eternity. Th through the lens of eternity. Because sometimes we can get so close to our problems, and we all have issues, we all have problems, and I don't want to try to guess where yours are and what you're going through. I get that. But sometimes we can be so close to our problem that, it can look bigger than it is because we're so zoomed in. But the reality for every person in this room today is we will live forever somewhere. Our family will exist forever somewhere. And if we were able to step back and look at our family through the lens of eternity, 
I believe if we did whatever it took to make sure we were together 50,000 years from now, then whatever we need to do for the next 50 years, we'll do. And we'll, and we'll figure it out. So with that being said, let's start with this question. Let's start with this question today. I'm not asking you to tell me out loud, but I do want you to think about it. If you had one wish for your child, talking to all the parents in the room, all the grandparents in the room, all the uncles, if you had one wish for whatever the next generation, however you're connected to the next generation, if you could guarantee one thing for their future, what would it be? What would it be? I want you to think about it. And I want you to be honest about what your answer would be. Because, you know, when, when we're in church, uh, you know, the, the default answer, if you don't know the answer, just say Jesus. I get that, all right? But I want you to be honest about what the answer is, because I've got to be honest, even as a pastor and as a believer and a Christian, I spend a lot of time thinking about the future of my children. And I think about, like, what, what are they going to be when they grow up? I think a lot about that. I don't know why. I just think a lot about, like, what are they going to be when they grow up? And, you know, what are they going to be good at? What are they going to like? You know, what, what are they going to be passionate about? Uh, how involved do I need to be? You know, like, I, I think about that a lot. I, I think most of us in the room who care for somebody do. I think about that a lot. And the things that I think about, because I tend to not think about eternity, the things that I tend to think about are things like, man, I hope my kids have confidence. I want them to have self-confidence. I want them to be able to nail a job interview. You know, I want them to be able to look people in the eye and, and talk to them. We, we practice that. Like, we'll bribe them. When we come to an event, we'll say, okay, you get a quarter for every adult. You go look in the eye and ask them how their day went. You should try it. It's pretty, pretty exciting. But <laughs> I think about that. I think about hoping that they're protected, that God pray for them, that God would protect them and uh, for purity and for innocence. And, and we pray about those things. I pray for their school. Like, I think about these types of of things. Will, will, will this kid like to read? But this kid, I can already tell she ain't really going to be excited about reading. And, 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 and I, I think about these things. But even as a pastor and a Christian and a, a dad who, who loves Jesus, can I be honest with you and admit that I don't think about whether or not they will love Jesus as much as I should. I do. We pray about it at night before we go to bed. I get that. But if I'm being completely honest with you today, I think I think about where my kids will go to college more than I think about where they will go when they die. And I don't want to be morbid. I'm not trying to, uh, depending on your lens of spirituality, I don't know how you hear when I say that today. But I want us to really look through this through the lens of eternity. So here's the question. If you had one wish for your children, if you had one one guarantee that you could make for their future, if you were being honest with yourself, what would you cash in your one guarantee for? What, what, would, you, what would you cash it in for? And if your answer, if you're being honest with yourself, and if your answer today is not that they would experience the love of Jesus, it could be possible that you have not experienced the love of Jesus. If your answer today is not, my, if I could cash in one guarantee, and I know I can't, but if I could cash in one guarantee, I pray that my kids or my spouse or my nephews or whoever it is that I am in, that's in my life, if I could only have one guarantee, if I could cash it in that they would know Jesus, they would follow Jesus, experience Jesus, and spend forever 
with Jesus. If that's not my wish, here's the question I want to ask you today. What is it? With, with, with no condemnation and no judgment, because I'm where you are, but what is it that you believe is more important than that for their life? There are all kinds of benefits to following Jesus. And this is not a, this is not a timeshare re- retreat where I'm trying to sign you up for anything. Uh, so I'm not going to list 27 reasons why you need to sign up. Um, but I do want to read you a verse of scripture from Matthew chapter 7. In just a second, we're going to go to Joshua. But I do want to read this to you from Matthew chapter 7 because Jesus was talking, um, this is not on your sermon guide, but Jesus was talking about, about life and what life looks like when, when it's built on him. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, anyone, Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching, Jesus' teaching, and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house. How many people had a lot of wind last night? They might have a lot of wind. Yeah, we're never splitting up. I'm telling you, if we're ever together and there's wind, I'm with you. I'm just letting you know, okay? So it sounded like somebody was breaking in last night. Anyway, all right. The winds beat against that house. It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, Jesus is talking about what it looks like for the life of a person who builds their life on Jesus. But the, but the analogy or the metaphor that he uses, the example that he uses is a home. Following Jesus and, and, and listening to Jesus and putting into practice the teachings of Jesus, he says, is like building a home on a foundation that will not fall apart when everything around it is crazy. And that's what we want. We want to build a house that won't fall apart, a home that won't fall apart, a family that won't fall apart when everything around it is going crazy. Well, how do we do that? Jesus told us. We build our life on him. He has to be the foundation. We build our life on on him. So how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we build our family and our home on on Jesus? Now, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But just so you know, this is not just talking about spiritual or emotional stability. When Jesus says that if you build your life on him, that it's better off for you than people who don't, he wasn't just talking spiritually and eternally. I don't have time to go through all the stats. Our team pulled together some stats this week, and they're staggering about the difference in a life and a family and people whose life is built on Jesus. The national average overall divorce rate is 33%, but for practicing committed, I'm in this with Jesus Christians, it's 17%. It's half. Now, here's what's staggering is that the divorce rate for people who are nominal Christians, nominal attenders, one foot, one, one foot in, one foot out, my wife makes me come or whatever, the divorce rate's 40%. The divorce rate is actually higher for people who are kind of half in, half out than it is for atheists and agnostics. It's the danger of like, eh, you know, I'm moral, I'm in, I'm out or whatever. But for those who say, man, I'm in this, I'm following Jesus, my life is built on Jesus, 17%. 
It significantly lowers the risk of depression. Researchers at the University of Saskatchewan, that sounds legit, found that (laughs) the incidence of clinical depression, there's really a university up there, was 22% lower. Listen, 22% lower cases of clinical depression for people whose life is built on Jesus. Attend religious services at least once a month compared to those who never attend. People who attend church have a better ability to manage time and achieve their goals. Church attendance has a direct effect on reducing deviant behaviors such as drug use, violence, and delinquency among at-risk youth. This is one of my favorites. Church attendance is correlated with higher math, reading scores, and greater educational aspirations. I brought the average down, okay? (laughs) My family was all about Jesus and church, but it did not help my educational ability, okay? Church attenders are more likely to complete homework and degree programs. Eh, you know, I mean, uh, okay. Let's not get caught up on that one, okay? Um, Significantly lower risk of death. Longer life expectancy, don't get me wrong. Death rate's 100% whether you're in church or out, okay? But, But research has shown that those who go to church more than once a week, let's not get crazy here, enjoy even better health than those who attend only once a week. And people who go to church more than once a week, on average, have been known to live 25% longer. Hello? That's a lot, 25%. Wow. But this has to be my favorite. A recent University of Chicago, Chicago study found higher levels, earmuff the kids, of sexual satisfaction. Hello? Among women who attend religious service. If you don't hear anything else I say, (laughs) building your life on Jesus makes your sex life better, according to the University of Chicago. Come on, let's just pray and go home right now. And what's crazy is like, for real, y'all won't remember anything else. Like, I went to this church, yeah, they said, I'm just kidding. All right, so. So for the time we have left today, I want us to just read this story from the book of Joshua. It perfectly illustrates this idea, and um, it's found in the very last chapter of the book of Joshua, chapter 24, and um, it's on your sermon guide. Hopefully you got that when you came in, but it's uh, the, very, the very last chapter of the book of Joshua, and, and we're going to start at verse 14. Let me just give you a little, little backstory so you can know where we're going. Joshua is the leader who followed Moses. You probably know Moses. Moses. Moses led the people out of Egypt, the, the, the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They go out into the desert. They spend 40 years because they disobeyed God, wandering around in the desert. And all of that generation dies, and Moses dies. And so now Joshua steps up, second-generation leadership with the people, and he takes them into what the Bible calls the promised land because it was land that was promised to them by God, and it, and it describes this land as unbelievable land, okay? So Joshua takes the people into this land, and they are living the good life. They're driving the Honda Odysseys, okay? They, their kids are in the honor classes, okay? They, they've got car seats in both cars, so they don't have to switch them back and forth. Come on. They are living the dream, okay? This is, this is, this is the, the, the peak of life where they are. Double car seats. And here's the problem. The problem is that the story of humanity and society has always been that we tend to not need God unless we have a need. 
That's typically what happens to us in our psyche, is if we don't have a need, we tend to not need God. And that's where these people are. They don't need God. It's going great. And so Joshua steps up, and he gives this speech to the people at the end of the story, the end of the chapter. And uh, actually, let's start with, um, with, with verse 13. Here's what it says. God, Joshua's talking, but he's speaking for God. In 13, he says, I gave you land. God gave you land. You had not worked on, and I gave you towns you did not build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. So God is just reminding them, like that sweet life that you're living, hello, I gave that to you. Just don't try to take credit for, you know, whatever. Like, I, I did this for you. Everything you have is from me. And then in verse 14, now Joshua is going to be talking, not necessarily for God, but Joshua speaking. And he says, so fear the Lord, Joshua says, and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worship when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So I want to just focus on that last statement that Joshua made. As for me and my family... We will serve the Lord. This simple little three-part statement is something that I hope all of us in the room could make or would want to make, or maybe today would be challenged through the power of the Holy Spirit to make. So let's just look at this together. The first part is probably the most important part. Joshua says, as for me. Everybody say me. Joshua says, as for me, this is so important because you cannot expect your family to be built on God if your life is not built on God. A family is just a collection of individuals. So Joshua starts by saying, I'll lead the way. I'll lead the way. I've shared this stat before, and and I know Brad shared it in his hope story several months ago, but if, if a child or the mom is the person in the family who attends church, the only person in the family who attends church, they come first by themselves. There's a 17% chance that the rest of the family will attend church together with them. But if the dad comes, there's a 93% chance that the family will come together. Listen to me, fellas. I'm challenging you. Next five weeks, get here. If you come, they'll come, I promise you. If you're here today and you're a single mom or you're doing this thing without... Without that male influence in the home, you lead the way. You lead the way. But I want to challenge all the guys. The numbers are staggering. The influence, the spiritual influence you have on your family. And so Joshua says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead the way. This is, this is interesting because it's so easy to feel like, and, and we've talked to so many of you, and this is your story, and, and God uses this, but it's interesting because uh, you know, our church has like kids galore. I mean, so many kids in our church, and I love that. But one of the reasons we have so many kids is because we have so many young families, because they, when they find out they're going to have a child, they say, we really need to get in church because I want to raise my children in church. And, the, and the, the intent of that is a beautiful thing. The problem is that they think that if I'll just get the kids in a religious sphere, that that will do everything that needs to be done in order to raise them the way that 
they need to be raised with morals and spirituality or whatever, but that's not, that's not the way that it works. The biggest influence on the spiritual life of a child or the next generation or a nephew or what the biggest influence is your life, not a, not a church. And so we can't skip this part as for, as for me. We can't skip it. Joshua says, I will lead by example. I'm going to show what this looks like. But then the second thing he says is, as for my family. So the first thing he says is, I'm going to lead by example. But the second thing he says is, I'm going to lead by authority. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about me for a second, Joshua says. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Me, I am. But I'm also the leader of my home. So let me tell you what my family's going to do. We're going to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. He leads by example, and he leads by authority. So I want to be very careful here because I don't want to be offensive to anybody. And please know, know my heart. I'm not judging. I'm not condemning you. This is a very real struggle that we all face. But if we, if God has put us in the place of authority for our home, we can use that authority to commit our family to Jesus and to build our life on God. Now, you can't make someone follow Jesus. You can't make someone be religious I understand if you're in here today and you've got an older teenager and they're like, leave me alone, I hate you, I'm not going to church. You can't tie them up and put them in the trunk and bring them to church. I get that. I mean, you could try, but I, I, I get that. But here's what I think is so powerful, is if we follow this pattern that Joshua says, I believe, not 100% of the time, I'm not that idealistic, but I do believe that if the people in our lives who watch us and follow us see our lives be truly transformed by the love of Jesus Christ, they will be interested. They may not act interested. They may say they're not interested. If the only thing we can bring to our house is a list of religious obligations, a calendar schedule of church attendance or whatever it is, then yeah, they may not be interested. Maybe they are. I don't know. But I can think of only very few examples where a mom or a dad or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a friend was not truly transformed. Like, like Jesus changed their life. They're not just that they were addicted, but they're not addicted anymore. Not that, but like they actually smile. Like they actually have joy in their life. And I, have, I can only think of maybe very few examples where that has happened and the family has not gone. What happened to you? I'm interested, I'm interested, I'm interested. And so Joshua says, I'm gonna lead by example, but I'm gonna lead by authority. And so I wanna challenge every person in the room today who has the authority over your family. You get to decide what this season of your family looks like. You get to call the shots. Your children don't get to call the shots. Their coaches don't get to call the shots. Your boss doesn't get to call the shots. You get to call the shots. Now, some of you in here, you don't have that. You, you are a family member, but you're not the parent. Or and, and so don't, don't go, well, let me tell you what my preacher said. Don't, don't go start a fight on me, okay? That's not, but if you're here today with authority and, and God has given you that authority, you decide. This is what we do. You don't have to like it. You don't have to follow Jesus. You, I don't, you can sit there and hate me if you want. But if you're a part of this home, let me tell you what we do in this home. 
we follow Jesus. We go to church. We serve together. At our house, if you have a friend that spends the night on Saturday night, guess what? They're going to church. That's what we do. I mean, that's, we, we just went through this in our home, and I'm not trying to sound like we've got it figured out because Friday night was terrible at our house. I'm just being honest with you. All right. We had some breakdowns, but, but one of our children wanted to do an activity. They were already doing an activity. We said, no, we don't feel like that's best for this season. Well, why not? Because we do an activity and we do church. That's what we do. We are a ministry family. We are a church family. That's what we do. Well, who decided that? The person who gets to decide it. The authority of the home. And so hear me. I mean, I'm not trying to be sassy. I'm not trying to be like, talk all tough, because it is hard when your daughter or son is crying and saying, I want this to be most important. But you have to lead by example first. First. You don't get to say this is what we do until something important for you comes up, and then you say, well, this is not what we do. This is what we do. I'm going to lead by example, and then I'm going to lead by authority. So Joshua says, make a decision today. Your home is going to serve God or something else because everybody serves something. And so the people respond back to Joshua. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 we will. Okay, we're in. We'll do it. And so then just skip down to, to verse 23. After the people are like, yeah, 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 we'll do it. We'll do it, we'll do it. Joshua says in 23, all right then, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Joshua says that a decision to build your home on Christ is also a decision to remove everything else that your home is built on that is not Christ. Turning to God means turning down other things. He says, okay, if that's what you're going to do, you got to go tear down some things that you have built your life on because God doesn't compete. God doesn't compete. And it sounds so black and white when we say it like that, and I get it. It's not black and white. If I was to say, okay, we're going to have two lines. Everybody who wants to build your family on God, everybody who doesn't, everybody's going to the build your family on God line. I get that. I know that. The problem is not our intention. The problem is our actions. And so my struggle for weeks leading up to this series is how do you tell somebody to build their family on God? What, what do you do? It's not like a medication, you know, take two, you know, two doses a day. It's, it's, simpler. it's more than that. It's, it's not that complex. It's simpler. It's not that simple. It's more complex. How do you do? And so what I want to do is just give you something that is very simple, slightly cheesy, but everybody likes nachos, and something that I think you can do today, no matter who you are, where you are. I wanted to give you something to do today. I want you to give your family CPR. I want you to give your family CPR. Maybe it's spiritual CPR I don't know what it is, but like you need to, it needs to come back to life. It needs to come back to spiritual life. Wherever you are, I want you to give your family CPR. You can write this down. C stands for come to church. Come to church. Come to church. Go ahead and decide. Take that calendar and write down the next five weeks. But I want you to go ahead and decide, hey, listen, we go to church. Something special happens when you come to church. It doesn't solve all your problems. I get that. And I'm not saying you got to be here every week. I'm not here every week. But hey, as a family, we're going to make a commitment 45 weeks, 46 weeks, 48 weeks out of the year. We're going to be here together. 
Make an obligation out of it because when you don't feel inspiration, you follow through on obligation. If you only feel, do it when you feel like it, well, you're in trouble, all right? And so, and so just go ahead and make a commitment. Get a calendar out and just write it in. We have a standing appointment. This is what we do. We come to church. P, pray together. Pray together. I want you to pray together. If you don't do this, it's going to be awkward. I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that this is something that I... I, am a, I talk to hundreds of people every week about Jesus, and I struggle to pray with my wife because it's awkward. Like, okay, let's pray. I, 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 like, I don't know what to say. I get nervous. I, feel, I, I like writing my prayers out. I keep a journal. She's a fantastic prayer. I'm like, you do it, all right? And so <laughs> it's awkward. Go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah, pray over the food. Yeah, pray when you put your kids together. But what if before they got on the bus, you prayed together about the day? What if, like, what could you, just pray together. Listen to me, sir. If you do it, they'll do it. If you do it, they'll do it. And so I'm going to make a commitment to you in front of you as the leader of my home to begin to pray with my family, pray together with my family. And I want you to do that as well. Pray together. It ain't got to be 20 minutes. It ain't got to be polished or pretty. Just pray together. Come to church and pray and then are. Just refuse, refuse to quit. Refuse to quit. Because you're going to be able to come up with a great reason in seven days why you need to quit, why it won't work, why this isn't the best strategy, the best plan of action. Refuse to quit. Get, if your kids are old enough, get everybody together around the table and say, listen, we're going to hold everybody accountable. If mommy or daddy says we can't go today, kids, I want you to remind us we are going today. If we have to tell you no about something, I want you to know why we're telling you no about something. Let's do this together. We're not going to throw in the towel. We're not going to quit. So if you're here today and you're a part of a family in any way, CPR, come to church, pray together, refuse to quit. And I believe that as you do those things, those, those simple things. Is there more you could do? Yeah, there's more that you could do. You need to read the Bible, you serve. You know, there's all kinds of things you could do. We're going to talk about some of those things. But if nothing else, come to church, pray together, refuse to quit. So I want you to take that calendar that you got. If you didn't get one, we'll give you one on the way out. I want you to figure out when you're going to sit down as a family. And I'm asking everybody who's attached to a family in any way to take this 30-day challenge and let's see what God can do. Let's pray.